0: We can hear things or we can hear things. And that's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, He wants us to do more than just hear. And things were put on the table today. Our brothers and sisters in Uganda need things. They need resources. They need people. And uh, if God's pushing that in you, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, Uh, just continuing this morning, we're uh, going through Hebrews 11 this summer, (laughs) plopped ourselves right in the middle of of, of this amazing book, and uh, we're going to look at the characters that are in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, so you can turn there. Uh, Some of us know this, Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the Bible's Hall of Fame. Uh, this is the Bible's version of Cooperstown Now, normally I'm pretty turned off by this whole idea of a super-Christian I mean, I, I, I don't buy that There aren't super-Christians um, I like what John Piper likes to say all the time they are only sinners in the world However, we're going to see this summer That as we look at the people that make up this hall of fame of faith, we're not going to find saints here, as we understand the word saint. Instead, we're going to find murderers, adulterers, cheaters, liars, prostitutes. So the question really is going to become, how does one get inducted into this chapter? How does one get in this chapter? What's the answer to that? Faith. Because when God sees faith He says That's righteousness God loves faith So that begs the question What's faith? Today faith is Verse 4 It's Abel Let's stand and read Hebrews 11 Just one verse It's going to be an up down sit down By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel, his faith still speaks, even though he is dead. This is God's word. You can be seated. Three times in that one verse, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abel. And uh, the verse also says that God commends him, and I think that we need to know the meaning of this word commend, because this word commend uh, bookends this whole chapter. Look at verse 2. We didn't read verse 2, but it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And then when you go to the end of the chapter, in verse 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith. Commended. In the original language, it is the word ao." It's where we get the word martyr. Martyr or martyreo means to unapologetically bear witness. It's, it, it's a word that comes out of the, the Roman legal system. A martyreo is a witness. It's a defendant. It's, it's, it's someone who studies the evidence and stands with the person on trial. It's the, it's the person who approves of that person. Hebrews 11 says, God is the one who is doing the commending. He's the one who's bearing witness on behalf of all the people in these chapters. He's the one who approves of them. I don't know what that does to you. But if I'm real honest this morning, I know that my heart longs for approval. Whether it's my parents' approval, whether it's my my wife's approval, whether it's my kid's approval. um, I long for the approval of of you. I long for the approval of my friends. Um, That's my heart. I want to know that I'm approved. And in life, sometimes we get it, don't we? And sometimes we don't. And I think more than anything, uh, life is just full of critics, lots of them, sometimes even haters. That's why I want you to see the significance of, of, of what's being said. The, the one who, who made us, who knows absolutely everything there is to know about us, that's an amen, I think. Is also the one, if we too are like the people of, of, of Hebrews eleven, are the one who received God's approval. God's approval. Do you know God's approval today? That He whirled. I want to bear witness. That he approves of you, delights in you, accepts you. See, when we get this, then it doesn't really matter what the world throws at us, does it? In fact, Hebrews 10, we we, we read it last week. Look at what the world is throwing at, at the recipients of this letter. Look at verse 36 of chapter 10. This is a people who needs to persevere. And right before that, you you, you look at verses 32 and you, you see what they're going through. Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecutions. At other times you stood side by side with those who were treated. You suffered along with those in prison. How did they do that? Because they were thrown in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. And so, when the world criticizes us or disapproves of us or even persecutes us, we don't need to shrink back. We have God's approval. And what is it that gets God's approval? It's faith. And and it's the faith of Abel. And for us to understand the faith of Abel this morning, uh, we need to uh, understand Genesis 4. The Bible assumes that we know Genesis 4, so let's turn to Genesis 4. I can't read this whole story. I don't want to get swallowed up by Genesis 4, but I want to get into Genesis 4 so we can understand Hebrews 11, verse 4. And you can stay seated as I read this, but this is at the beginning of your Bibles. It's on page 4 in my Bible. And it starts off with these wonderful words, Adam made love to his wife, Eve. And she became pregnant. And she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth the one. Later she gave birth to, a, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord And Abel brought also an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Of course, you can continue to read this either now or or later today. Most of you know this story, the way we understand the, the, the faith of Abel. Is in the context of his family, namely by laying Abel alongside Cain. Now this is the world's first family. This is the world's first set of brothers, and it's such a tragic story. And I think it's even more tragic than 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 we know at first appearance because who are their parents? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve knew the world of Eden. I want you to think about that. They knew a world of perfect harmony, perfect peace, where they had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, where everything that they saw around them had this this feeling of harmony and perfection. The wolf could lie down uh, with a little child. And then because of their rebellion against God. They were exiled. They're kicked out of the garden. In fact, verse 23 of chapter 3 uh, says they were banished. They were sent. It's It's the word for divorced. They weren't just divorced from Eden. They were more importantly, divorced from God. They were divorced from walking with God. And all of a sudden, it'd be like taking someone who's just in the comfort and, and just throwing them in freezing cold water and the shock to their system of being banished and divorced and exiled. And all of a sudden now, it's a, a new normal. A tragic new normal. Their their harmonious existence is infected with, with, with this cancer, this cancer of sin. Life instantly became difficult and chaotic. And that's the world we know. And yet they lived in this tragic new normal with the hope that God was going to put it all back together again, that he was going to make everything new, that he was going to restore everything to how it once was. And God said that this was going to happen through a son, a promised son, a Messiah. So think about the sense of anticipation that's going on when Cain is born into the world. They're probably thinking, this is the one. This is the promised one that God said would come and restore everything. In fact, it's, it's shown right in the name they give him. They call him Cain. In English, this would be like naming him God. Adam, we got him. In fact, this is how it literally reads. Right at, at the birth, Eve says, with the help of the Lord, I have gotten the one. And they probably watch that child grow up with great hope. Then they have a second son named Abel. These boys grow up. You wonder what kind of relationship they have. If you look at uh, Genesis 4 closely, count the number of times that brother is used. It's used seven times. It's the same number that the word or the name Abel is used. They're both used seven times. The number seven in the Bible is the number of wholeness and completeness. I think this is the Bible's way of of, of hinting at the kind of relationship that they have. These guys are brothers. And then we come to verses three and four. It says, In the course of time, came, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Can I put what's going on in our terms? This is the first recorded worship service in the Bible. This is what an offering is. It's how the ancients worshiped. If you kind of think that's kind of, kind of weird and strange, let me tell you something. The Ancients, I think, understood something that, that, that we have forgotten as moderns. What they understood is that the way you approach God is that to approach this God, you have to make an offering. That to draw near to God... I mean, it was inconceivable to them that you would draw near to a God without an offering. Because the offering controls what God sees. It kind of acts as a sort of covering. Because to the ancients, approaching God was not, yeah, God. It was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's an awesome thing to approach a holy God and therefore we need a covering and if we don't have a covering we might die. You know what? According to the Bible, the ancients are right. To stand in God's presence to approach him is an awesome thing. And we still absolutely need an offering how many of you came here today drew near to God with this idea that I'm, I'm entering the presence of a holy God I need covering I need covering I don't need to show my hands see we've become flippant Yay, God! Read the book of Hebrews. Read it today. You're going to understand that we still need a covering. In fact, the whole Bible, you could say, is a story about the covering, the perfect offering God provides so that right now we can draw near to him. We can boldly enter into the holy of holies because we're covered. We still need that covering. And I think deep down we, we, we just kind of innately know this. I mean we're always making offerings, aren't we? We're always making coverings. We're always trying to control how we're seen. Why do you work so hard? It's your offering. Why are you so obsessed with winning and achieving and, and, and moving up to your offering? Why do you try so hard to please everyone you your offering? Why do you obsess so much over your image and how you look and you're covering yourself? Why is it such a big deal to you about what neighborhood you live in and what kind of house you, you live in, car you drive? You're covering. Why do you fret when you're not dated? Why do you get all uh, weirded out when you put on a pound? Why are you panicky about getting old? You're covering. And listen, if this is how we think about life, how much more so with God, to go into God, we absolutely, we need an offering. We need a covering. But think about this. The Bible begins in the world. In Genesis 1, before there was sin, where Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, they didn't have to cover. Then, of course, they sinned. As a result of their sin, they felt deep shame. What did they do? They covered, they hid. And the human race has been hiding ever since. We've been covering, we've been making offerings, because we have this innate sense deep within us that we, in and of ourselves, are not okay. Now, going back to our text, who, initi- who initiates this worship? Who goes first? Tell me you're not sleeping. Who goes first? (laughs) Cain. Abel follows his big brother. I'm a younger brother. I have a big brother. Younger brothers always follow their big brothers. At Cain's lead, these two guys approach God with their offerings. Verse 5. God accepts Abel. God rejects Cain. I couldn't help uh, but look at this, this week as a father. Because I'm a father. I have two sons. And I couldn't help but imagine if, 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 if my two boys, uh, and, and, and they like to do this, especially when they were younger, they loved to, to, to present me with something they either did at school or some accomplishment. Look at me, Daddy. Did you see what I did? Did you see what I accomplished? If I looked at one of them and said, "That's acceptable," "That's unacceptable," I crush them. I'm not saying this to, to, to justify what Cain is about to do, but I want us to get into his shoes a little bit. I want us to, to, to feel what he feels. And and some of us, when we just read this, in fact, some of the commentators couldn't help but ask this about God. Is God just this unfair, egotistical, it's just got to be my way or the highway kind of God? Is that God? And then I noticed other uh, commentators tried to let God off the hook by by making this about Cain's offering that Cain brought the wrong things to worship. And you look at the text: Cain is offering offering vegetable, vegetables, and Abel's offering a lamb or a goat. In other words, a blood sacrifice. And 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 here's the deal with that. If we know our Bibles well enough, we will know that God not only prescribes blood offerings, the offerings of lamb and goats, but in Leviticus 2, God also says, I want the first fruits from the ground. I want your vegetables. In fact, there's a special name for that kind of offering, the offering of vegetables. It's called a minha. You know what the word for offering is in Genesis 4? Take a guess. Minha. So why does God then reject Cain's offering? Now before we get to this, I want us to think about something. I want us to, right now, if you're not awake, to wake up. Because this is important. (laughs) Did that come out a little too strong or not? (laughs) Think about this. Here we have the first recorded worship service in the Bible. We also have the first form of competition. And tragically, we have the first murder. And if you're connecting the dots and you find this to be pathetic, that worship could cause competition that would get to the point where there's a murder... Well, that's been going on throughout the history of the church. It's going on right now. In Christianity today, it's called worship wars. We worship God better than you. We worship God the right way. When we worship, God shows up. How do you know what worship is? Sometimes worship is expressive, sometimes it isn't. What's worship? Think about all the unnecessary division. And sadly, in the history of the church, not only has this competi- t- competition uh, amongst different Christians, produced division and sometimes hatred, but even sometimes it's resulted in Christian killing Christian. And in all of this, we become such a joke to the world. They're looking at us. You know what's wrong with Cain? It's not the vegetables. It's his heart. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. We are going to worship differently. People are going to worship differently. You may look around and see how people worship. I want you to know God is not looking at where our hands are or what's coming out of our mouths. He's looking right here. Our hearts, our hearts. And if you're reading this, this Genesis 4, and you're struggling with this idea that God is this cruel, egotistical God, I, I want you to read it closer because when you read it closer, you see what, he's such a good God. He's such a kind father to Cain. He loves Cain. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Cain, what's wrong? Hey dude, what's behind that anger? It literally reads, why is your face fallen? By the way, a fallen face or to be downcast in the Bible is, is the Bible's way of describing depression. Cain, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? See, what God is doing here is he's, he's tenderly moving into Cain's life, and he's, he's asking the important question that Cain needs to be asking. He's asking, why? What's behind all of this? See, the question of why gets us now into our motives. And once we're into the world of motives, now we're into our heart. And then look at verse 7. God says, if you do what is right, why not accept you? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God is such a good shepherd here. God is just shepherding Cain. God, are you saying, Cain? Cain, listen, dude, if you, if, if you want my acceptance, just obey me. Do what is right. See, our actions, our actions always reveal eventually what's really in our hearts. In fact, I think the number one characteristic of a heart problem is when you and I insist on doing things our way instead of God's way. And this kind of pride and selfishness will always result in anger and depression. Not that all anger and depression are the result of this. The pride and selfishness will always result in that. See, this is why it's such a loving thing for God to say to Cain, Cain, look dude, you got a heart problem. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart and it's ready to pounce. You need to see it. Acknowledge it, humbly repent of it, or it will destroy you. I'm telling you, there's a whole sermon just in that one verse alone. But can I just say this? This is what sin does it crouches. I mean, think about a lion right before it's about ready to pounce, it goes into that crouch. And why does it go into that crouch? Because it doesn't want to be seen. It's the same with sin. Sin wants to be unseen. Because unseen sin is dangerous, especially when it's masked in religious and spiritual activity. Because right now, I can right now, I can see in a moment my sin of greed. I can see my sin of lust. I can see my sin of, of, of saying things that I that I shouldn't say, I can see my sin of anger, but it's a lot harder for me to see the sin that lies underneath the good things I do. I've said this before. The time when I'm most prone to sin the greatest in a week is when I stand up here and preach sermons. I know that. Or when I'm doing some good thing. That's especially when I need to look beneath my behavior and at my motive. Why are you praying right now? Why are you singing? Why do you have your hands in the air? Why are you doing what you're doing, Rod? Why? Sin crouches unless we have the the humility to acknowledge it and repent of it, it's going to destroy us. And that's Cain's problem. He is too proud to repent. He's too proud to acknowledge what is going on in his heart. You can read the rest of the story today. You're going to see that God will pursue him. God's going to protect him. God's going to prod him. He's going to give Cain every chance to say, I blew it, God. I'm sorry. He can't do it. He can't do it. Listen, is that us today? You too proud to repent? Are you too proud to acknowledge your sin? Are you too proud to acknowledge that you have a heart problem? I'll tell you this, we're all canes. When it comes to worship, instead of looking around and seeing what other people are bringing to God, the thing that we need to ask when we come into our worship, whether our worship is at a gathering or whether our worship is Monday through Saturday, in in, in living out the lives and vocation God has given to us as an act of worship, we need, to under, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of heart am I bringing to this? Because God isn't looking at our worship per se, God's looking at our heart. Now while I stated there's nothing wrong with those vegetables that Cain offers, there is something wrong with those vegetables. Especially when you look at what Cain offers to God. Cain, Look at the text. In verse uh, 3 and 4, verse 4, what does Abel offer? The fat portions and the firstborn. He gives to God his first and best. And see, because of this textual detail, I think it's easy for us to deduce that Cain probably gave God then his leftovers. And again in this we, we we see what's going on in their hearts. This is why Hebrews 11:4 says Abraham or Abel offered a better sacrifice because Abel's sacrifice reflects his heart by faith. And so does Cain's. What kind of offering are you giving to God? Do we give God our leftovers? Or do we give him our first and best? In Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but man-made things. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees in that they were the back-to-the-Bible people. They're also the ones who believe in the supernatural and in resurrection and in healing. They, they're the ones who believe in angels and demons. They're the ones who fast two times a week. They're the ones who pray incessantly. And Jesus looks at them and says, you hypocrites. Why? He calls them out, and the reason he calls them out is because everything they do, according to Jesus, is for self-exalting purposes. You guys reek of self-importance. You reek of self-righteousness. And oh, by the way, those that you call sinners are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. And see, this is the problem with Cain's worship. He's not worshiping God for God's sake. He's worshiping God for Cain's sake. Think about what a repulsive thing that is. To use the worship of God for the exaltation of self. To use service to God as a means to serve self. My heart went to Isaiah 1, the Romans of the Old Testament, as it's called. Romans 1 really begins with God just, boom, blasting Israel. This is what he says. This is Eugene Peterson uh, helping us out a little bit to put it in today's language. Why this frenzy of sacrifice is Why this frenzy of sacrifices? God's asking, when you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, that, all this sheer commotion... In the place provided for worship Quit your worship charades I can't stand your trivial religious games Gatherings, gatherings, gatherings I can't stand one more You've worn me out I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion While you go on sinning When you put on your next prayer performance I'll be looking the other way No matter how long or loud or often you pray I will not be listening And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces Go home, wash up, clean up your act, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. True worship to God is just not only our offerings of our life here. It's offering our life to the world. And see, what Cain lacks is the very thing that Abel oozes, and it's faith. And what's faith? Biblical faith is trusting God and not ourselves, in everything. It's taking God at his word and humbly submitting to it. Think about the little portion of of God's word that that Cain and Abel actually have. I mean, I can see this family sitting around a campfire at night. Hey, Dad, tell us about Eden. What was it like? What do you mean you didn't wear any clothes? Hey, Cain, we didn't feel any shame until that tragic day when we rebelled against God and His Word. We didn't trust Him what happened? We ate the fruit that God said we weren't supposed to eat. We did it our way instead of God's way. Well then what happened? We felt dirty. We felt defiled. As we felt our shame for the first time, we we, we heard God approaching. What did God look like? On this day his face was so full of hurt and he was crying. And he looked right in my eyes and he said, Adam, where are you? What did you do, Dad? All I could do was hide and cover. And God knew exactly what we were feeling because he had two garments in his hand made of animal skins. And first he came up to Eve and he covered her nakedness. And he came up to me and he covered me. And then I hear Adam saying to his sons, Sons, now hear the word of God. Only God can cover you. Only God can do it. No offering will ever hide it. No good act will ever remedy it. Even the best things we offer are like filthy rags. Only God can cover your shame and guilt. And then you read the rest of the the biblical story and you see that God's people came year after year with their offerings because they knew they needed a covering. But they also knew as they made those offerings that those, those, those coverings were superficial and they pointed to a perfect offering that one day God would make. And then you come to the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 10. Verse 1, the Torah is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, the real, but not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, uh, by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's just a shadow of things to come. What is it that's to come? Go down to verse 10. And by that, will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! It's so awesome! Had Jesus lived the perfect life we were supposed to live? And never could. He died the perfect atoning death that we deserve to die. So that when you and I put our complete faith, our trust, our life in Him, Colossians 3 says, when we do that, we are hidden in Christ, we're clothed in Him. Are you Cain? Are you able? Listen, just like all of us in this room, on the outside, these two guys look the same. They come from the same family. Their their worship probably appeared much the same. But inside, these two guys are vastly different. And here's the difference. Cain trusts himself. Cain trusts his offering. Cain trusts his doing. Abel doesn't. Look at our text today, Hebrews 11. By faith, by faith Abel brought God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. By faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Abraham trusted God. By faith, Abraham trusted God's goodness because Abel knows what we all need to know that produces this faith not in ourselves that we can't cover ourselves and see this is the the, the life of faith that Abel still speaks do you have this faith do you have it Are you still doing everything in yourself? In your own strength? Still trusting your own performance? Still trusting the offerings that you make to God? Or do you trust the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice that God made and gave to us in Jesus? my Cain heart shows up all the time which causes me to acknowledge it to confess it to repent of it to turn from it and to fix my eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of even my faith it's not about us It's about him and I just want to end with uh, this uh, this old hymn cling to Jesus' work by a simple faith doing is a deadly thing doing alone ends in death cast your deadly doing down down at Jesus' feet stand in him in him alone glorious and complete God, I pray this morning that we would have the faith of Abel that we would let go of ourselves taking ourselves so seriously and making this all about us. It's not about us. It's you. You, Jesus. Work that into our hearts and I pray this morning that repentance would take place in this room for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.